Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hello and you're welcome to the Irish Examiner Current Affair podcast with me, Mick Clifford. Every week we hope to bring you a slice of the news that you might find engaging and informative. We will be looking at the big stories of the week, but also delving into many off-agenda stories that we have featured in the Irish Examiner and our unique interpretation of them. Now, last May, Ian Bailey was convicted of murder in a court in Paris. He was convicted of killing, in December 1996, Sophie Tuscan du in West Cork, Miss Duplantier's body was found in a pretty horrendous state. She'd been battered to death outside her holiday home, which was a few miles outside Skull in West Cork. Early on in that investigation, Ian Bailey was identified as a suspect and arrested, but he has never been charged with the crime. Repeatedly, the DPP has ruled that there is insufficient evidence to bring a charge against him. Despite that, he was tried and convicted in Paris, of course, he didn't attend the trial and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. A few weeks after that decision, in late June, the French requested the Irish authorities to extradite Mr Bailey under a European arrest warrant. This is the third occasion in which Mr Bailey's extradition has been requested. On the previous two occasions, the courts here, the High Court and in one instance the Supreme Court, have ruled that um, he should not be extradited. Now, six months after the government have received this latest request, Mr Bailey has not yet heard anything. He has not been, as he was on the two previous occasions, arrested and brought to the High Court. As such, he's living in a form of suspension. Last week, I visited him in his home outside Skull in West Cork. Ian, it's been uh, quite a turbulent few months for you. In late May, you were convicted in absentia of murder in Paris. Uh, towards the end of the year, you have published your second collection of poetry and uh, I suppose from a creative point of view, that would very much be a major uh, point in your life. Just to, I'm just looking at your, 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 your collection. Uh, I'm in a John Wayne state of mind and uh, you very helpfully have put in a number of explanatory notes. But in the introduction, if I could quote you here mm. before I come to you, and I suppose this encapsulates what happened earlier this year. In late May 2019, I was convicted of a crime, a murder most foul, which I had nothing to do with in my absence in a court in Paris. I had long known this particular outcome and miscarriage of justice was almost certain to befall me. I had lived with that fear and apprehension for over 10 years of a 23-year ordeal. The case was based on a discredited and oft-times rejected Irish police file which contained false statements, withdrawn statements and discredited statements by a number of witnesses. What has always been rejected by the Irish Prosecuting Authority, the Director of Public Prosecutions, was accepted by the French Prosecution Authority and the family of the victim, Hook, Line and Sinker. And then you just go on to say, I was bonfired on a pyre of lies. I am, as I write, anticipating a third, an imminent arrest under the European arrest warrant. First off, Ian, could I just ask you about that issue? Um, as you 
pointed out there, you were convicted, a European arrest warrant was issued from the bench uh, for you. Um, have you been contacted about that since? No, I haven't. I've been waiting, um, and I'm waiting at the moment, and I'm, I'm sensing a sense of sort of foreboding because... Ah, oh, I don't know. Um, it's been hanging over me now. I mean, you said 20... It, I mean, this has been going on now for, I think, 25 years, actually, since it's been... 24 years, so it's a quarter of a century. Um, I knew, as I said in the introduction to the book there, what had been my likely fate for a long time, unless somebody had the, the honesty. You know, and I know there are people in Ireland who know I have nothing to do with this. I know that. I've even met guards who told me they know I have nothing to do with it. Who it, was responsible, I don't know. Um, all I know is I have nothing to do with it, and I'm being now, you know, persecuted. It's it's a form of torture, and it. I, I mean, everybody goes through their t- trials and troubles in life, and this, that, and the other. But I, mean, I think this is possibly pretty unique. Um, not only a torture on myself, but on my partner, long-term suffering partner, Jules Blesser. Um, one of your poems, one of the early poems in the collection, Ian. I think you touch on how you were feeling at the time of the trial. You were here in West Cork, the trial was gone in Paris, I should say. Yeah. I attended the trial myself. This poem, uh, I remain calm in the eye of the hurricane. Yeah, well, I was, I mean, I think I wrote this the week before the, I knew the last week of May was the, the time set for the the trial. And I'd been in, there was a film festival in Skull, uh, and I met another lady, American lady, performance poet, Kat Dolan, and we, we, we chatted and, it's great because performance poets are fairly rare to meet. And I'd been... I wrote this anyway. Would you give us a few lines? Yeah. I call it I Remain Calm in the Eye of the Hurricane. There is a full-force hurricane storming, circulating and swirling, angry, aggressive and vengeful around the outside of my head. Yet because of beauty and love and thoughts of you, I'm able to remain calm in the eye of the hurricane. There is a force, twelve hurricane, galing, cyclonic, typhooning, vindictive, malicious and spiteful around the outside of my head. But because of beauty and love and thoughts of you, I can remain calm in the eye of the hurricane. And in the final, in the moment of the bonfiring of my dreams, at that fateful moment between the laughter and the tears, at the tumult of my tears, with thoughts of beauty and love anew, I'm able to stay as calm as the still mill pond. So because of love and beauty and thoughts of you, I'm able to remain calm in the eye of the hurricane. And I presume the person you're referring to there is your partner, Jules. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, yes, I mean, it could be... Yeah, uh, it could be... It would be her and, you know, yeah. And can I just ask you again about that trial? While it went on for a week, uh, you were over here in West Cork. Mm-hmm. Were you getting... Hourly yeah, I was. Or? I was actually. I, I was spending quite a bit of the time with a film crew. The documentaries being made at the moment with the Jim Sheridan film crew, and I was hearing back what was happening in uh, Paris. And I, I had a news blackout. I, I had coping mechanisms to deal with certain times and situations in my life, and one of them is an, a news blackout. I didn't listen to the news. I didn't watch television. I didn't read newspapers. I was aware of what was going on. I was getting a general picture relayed back to me. And um, I, uh, I mean, I wrote several poems that during, during that. There's one in the book called Bonfire. I, I think I touched on it in, in the introduction. Um, this, was, this thing was happening to me. How was I going to deal with it? 
Well, over the years, one of the ways I've learned to deal with it as a coping mechanism is I find if I can get out of my subjective fear or own subjectivity, I and write the thing down, I, I get a form of words over what I feel is going on. It is cathartic. In other words, it it helps me. Um, it helps me to. Right, and one thing that, I, as I said, I attended the trial myself, Ian, and I'd have to say the way you've characterised it in the introduction, uh, I don't think there's much I could disagree with in relation to that because I certainly was completely alien to me and I've covered a number of murder trials in this jurisdiction. One thing that struck me about it was it appeared on one level to be an exercise to bring solace to the fa- family of mm. Sophie Toscan Duplantier yeah. and in particular her son Pierre-Louise who spoke very movingly and with great dignity at the trial and, and in the French system, the victim's family have a major role. I mean, it's quite obvious that they're convinced that you were responsible for the death of Sophie Toscan Duplanty. How do you feel about their attitude to you? Well, I can't do anything to change their attitude to me. I, knew, I do know, as a matter of fact, that they were assured right pretty well from day one that the Irish police, the Garda Shirkana, knew who it was and that that person was me. And in that respect, they bought in and were were sold a false narrative very early on. Um, I can't do anything about their belief, but all I know is all that their legal process has served to do is to convict an innocent man of something he had nothing to do with. And what about... I I know, so I must say, you know, I've never, ever... I've always been very sympathetic because, of course, a murder has many different victims. The the victim who dies, the, the, the family community and others and I've always been very sympathetic to them and that must be difficult from the point of view of quite obviously they regard you in a, as negative a way as possible they consider mm. you a murderer mm. and yet do you say that you, you still retain sympathy for their their uh, predicament well yeah I mean I, I, I can understand how they've come to believe in the false narrative I mean, one of the one of the things I've I've done. I mean, I've had people tell, um, I, you know, I've been slandered, I've been libelled, I've been this, that, and the other. One of the things that's helped me is um, I've never been particularly religious, but I do remember the the, the Lord's Prayer and I, trying to forgive people who trespass against me. Now that's a difficult one to do. I had to really work on that one. Um, you know, so I, 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 if says it, Kipling's if says it. You know, if you can make um, um, allowances for their their shortcomings and to and or whatever. And I suppose in a similar vein, you're still living here in West Cork, where you have. I think you, you came here five years before. This I came here in. Um, I came in 1991. Yeah, yeah, and, and this and this began in uh, the Christmas of 1996. Uh, correct. Could I suggest that there, in all likelihood, a lot of people locally who possibly share the conviction of the family? And how how has that been for you in that regard? Well, I don't know. I mean, one, you'd have to go and talk to them. Um, two, I know uh, right at the beginning that our neighbours and everybody were being told and visited by certain cops, I won't mention their names, some of them still alive, fortunately, um, that have no doubt it was him, it was that English so-and-so they were referring to. And they do it on the Bandon tapes. They refer to me as an English bollocks, I think. Um, they don't like me, uh, and they tell people that have no doubt he, he's a murderer. And this is actually backed up by the DPP's 2001 critique, where he highlights the fact that this was going on. So this is not a, a you know this is provable truth. 
Uh, and a lot of people bought, would have, I guess, would, and I think a lot of the media did, certainly, buy into the false narrative. And I was thinking about it from their point of view. Was if I was a, I know I was a journalist in another life, and if my police contacts were telling me, I have no doubt it was that Mick Clifford who did her in. I have no doubt. I know it was that fecker. Um, I, I probably tend to believe them and go along with it. But I think, well, I think, got, that, I, I think there's it, a history I, of that. But I think, but I think it has gone full. There's been a sort of, you know, it's, it's gone a circle. I mean, we get an awful lot of support from an awful lot of people. A lot of people we don't know. Miracle cards. Oh, a prayer, prayers and miracle medals and, and that's all sort of uplifting and the wider community down here do you think attitudes changed towards you or do you think people had sympathy for your predicament I, or? I think that there are a few still in the village I know them I see them they can't meet me in the eye who were in the he did it camp right from the beginning uh, and again I make you know I forgive those who trespass against me um, I don't know you'd have to really go around oh, I, I mean all I know is I, I, I go out I try to get on reasonably I you know obviously I watch my P's and Q's um and I, I, I don't know I mean I, I I feel very much at home I, we've got we've got a lot of friends a lot of support um and I, I'm, I'm every day and I fell in love with West Cork I didn't fall in love with the person particularly when I came to West Cork or Ireland I fell in love with up, up the place and the people that lived in it and every day you know I, I'm, I'm so lucky when I'm free a very yeah. easy thing to do to fall in love with West Cork. A lot of people do it. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, no, just going back to um, your collection again, mm. another poem I noticed, Pro Bono. Now, yeah. this obviously is a reference to the law. You've a lot of experience of the law as a result of um, your predicament going back to the aftermath of the murder of um, Mr. Plantier, um, including you had a, a, a libel action and then subsequently you had a major civil action in the High Court in 2015. I think I think it may still be the longest-running civil action you took against the state, the Gardaí, the Attorney-General, on the basis of false arrest. You lost that. What was that whole experience like for you? Uh, oh, it was pretty... T- it was uh, 64 days of torment, really. Um, we started off on November the 4th. I think we didn't finish until oh, Easter of the, the following year. It stretched everybody. It stretched me, it stretched Jules, it stretched Frank's operation. It was a great strain. It's Frank Bottomer, your solicitor. Uh, Frank Bottomer, who I'm eternally grateful for. And um, every, I dedicate poems in my collection to him, and uh, it's, it's the least I can do, really. Um, so, yeah, there was that case, there was the libel case, then there was that case, and then, I, because I went up to UCC in 2007 and spent five years up there and, and came away with three degrees of law, including a, a master's. And I'm very grateful to Shane Kill Cummins, by the way, who's now at the University of Limerick. Would you, my would, you ever, would you ever have envisaged yourself practising at the Irish Bar? I, in, in, the, in the mad, crazy event, no, I wouldn't. I would have envisaged myself doing the bar exams to get a degree of law, but I, having my first-hand experiences of the law and justice here would make me run 100 miles from it. Would you give us a few lines from Pro Bono? Um, well, it's, it's actually quite a short poem. It's quite a short poem. So it's, and the story behind it is, we do a, a, a Sunday market in Skull every, every um, Sunday during the season, and a lady, Mella, who makes fudge, her husband, who's a lawyer, barrister, um, was there. Um, he's, um, anyway, so the, the market had finished, and I saw these two men of law chatting on Nona's bench. Nona was a, a, a past marketeer who passed away. So, pro bono. Two men of law, out of gowns and wigs and out of cork and cork, 
In the summer term break, in Sunday civvies, swap the bar for known as bench near Skullpier. And true to the art of the men of law, they do what they are normally paid high fees for. Voluntary. No fees attached to this talk of lawyers. Pro bono. They shoot the breeze and chew the air close to the pier inside of Cape Clear and do what men of law do best. They jaw, jaw, jaw. Yeah, I think a lot of people might well uh, relate to that particular one. I've given copies to both. Uh, one of the lawyers was um, uh, Don McCarthy, um, barrister, and Peter O'Flynn. And I've given them both copies, and they, they said, you can, I said, can I use the, your names in the thing? Yes. That's good. Um, but I suppose the other thing to come out of that, Ian, is ultimately, as you say, it, it was an action that went into great detail, mm. and yet ultimately a jury decided that the Gardaí in particular had not wronged you in how they had dealt with the investigation. I know, yeah, I know. We were never going to win. We were, uh, Frank has told me not to be too critical of the judiciary because we might have to go before them again, so I have to be very careful. We were never going to win before that judge. We were never going to win. Well, no, hold on. The judge conducted it, everything, and I saw some. I don't think anyone yeah. criticised the judge. Uh, but it was a jury ultimately decided. It was, yeah, but it was one of the things that happened is we were, we were, I was forbidden from bringing in the 2001 DP's critique, and I didn't even know that I'd, I'd been forbidden from bringing in that, and that was a, a very major plank of our... And just to put in there for, for the listeners, 2001, the DPP had a 40-page critique that was highly critical of a number of different aspects of the investigation into the murder of Miss Duplantier, and some would say that in some of the analysis it went as far as suggesting that you were actually innocent, which wouldn't be a function of theirs, but perhaps on the basis of the, the official who wrote it came to that conclusion. But that was highly critical of everything yeah. to do with the investigation. But another outcome from that, ultimately, is that you were done for the costs of the whole action, which I'd say at a very conservative estimate, you're talking about two million plus. Oh, something like that. I think the newspaper said that, yeah. I haven't heard anything about that, by the way. And, uh, you know, I mean, what can I do other than send them? Um, a, a book of poetry. Well, in that sense, you're living, you've the cloud over suspicion in some quarters still mm -hmm. after 23 years. You have, two, we're, we're saying two million conservatively, a debt over your head. Mm -hmm. you, there was a compensation award following the murder conviction by the French court of 200,000 euro. You're in a position where you've an awful lot hanging over you this far down the line. Uh, you bet. Yeah, yeah, you bet. I mean, I was writing a poem this morning, sort of drafting a thing, and um, it was, uh, shall I, it's only a draft, because I start with a scribble very often, and then I just stand up, I start with a scribble, and then I write something else down, and then I bunch them all, and then I go through them every now and again, and write rubbish, but, I mean, I've, I've <laughs> maybe this is, you know, I'm being too pessimistic, but... Um, uh, I just I, I was feeling a genuine sense of, of pending gloom this morning, and so I wrote, uh, I'm pending doom, uh, an imminent sense of sinister doom hangs over me like a dirty black cloud of toxic waste, a fallout from a wicked, false lie, a narrative. I don't know, I mean, but and that's that, what it, that, but that is actually, you know, what it feels like inside. The, the sense of pending doom would be related to, I suppose, an expectation that there may be another European yeah, arrest. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're, you're living with an author. Have you ever wondered, Ian, about getting out of West Cork yeah, but at what, I, <laughs> yeah, well, you've got fight or flight, haven't you? I did have fight or flight when I was in the early days, but I was never going to take flight. I was always going to stay and fight. Um, 
there'd be nowhere I could go anyway. There's a European... I wasn't even allowed to go to my mother's funeral back in 2014 when she passed away. I could not leave the Irish state and go into the British state for her funeral because I would have been re-arrested on the point of entry under the European arrest warrant, which was extant, in other words, live for me. And, and I, I still can't leave the country, and I, I can live with that. I can can I ask you about that, just about your own personal bereavement? How did mm. that feel at the time? At the time, it felt awful. At the time, it really, really felt awful. Actually, I, I've, I've sort of addressed it, I think, in time. There's a poem in the book that I've written, and it's really about my mum and dad growing up with them, Ken and Bren. And actually, that was... Again, that was cathartic, writing that, in a way. It was sort of healing. Um, and that situation still hangs over you, effectively. You can't leave the state no, without no. fear of being arrested. No, no, no. But, you know, I mean, having said that, I mean, I am living and I'm a day at a time and I'm very grateful, to, very grateful for, on one respect, for the lot I have, you know, beautiful place um, and a lot of support and a lot of love and, uh, you know, like that. And just on a personal level and that, a feature of some of the evidence that came out in some of the trials was, and I think you were very open about it yourself, was your own relationship with alcohol earlier on in yeah, your life. Yeah, yeah. Is that something you've addressed as well? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, <laughs> um, I mean, I was, I think it was largely to do with spirits and whiskey and maybe vodka. And I addressed, actually, I went to AA. Um, I did 120 meetings in 90 days. I came away from there knowing the serenity prayer, which is, I met uh, Pat, uh, Pat the Barber Crowley for instance, who's in the book, um, who lives in Spain now, who tell me, Ian, never react, only respond. And I said, Pat, say that again, go on. And within that simple little few words, I learnt a lot. Uh, I stopped drinking, I learnt the serenity prayer, which I wasn't aware of before. And the serenity prayers guided me and helped me wonderfully. That thing, like, for, for instance, OK, I've got this stuff, right, I need to do it today, I haven't done it today, I've just remembered. <clears throat> So you have this stuff going on, external, outside in your life, which you have no control over. So the serenity prayer is the antidote to that. Can I do anything about it? If I can't, I just have to accept it. Now, that's maybe easier said than done. But uh, And do you drink it all now? Yeah, I have a not pint, and I'll take a drop of wine with, with uh, food. Right, but, another... Um, poem. Oh, very moderate, but, you know, measured, moderate. Right, so it, it, it's something you, you, you've conquered and you, you, you're in a position now where you're able to take a, a, a drink. Yeah, well, I think, I, just say, I think it was the whiskey. I think, I think it was listening to Christy Moore's first album, The Smoke and the Strong Whiskey, and then falling among some sort of reprobate-type characters. Um, but anyway. Okay, just cool. another poem there. Um, sell by date, as mm. in C-E-L-L, sell by date. Uh, interesting poem, I thought. I, I, it, it strikes up... Um, it evokes an image of somebody in a prison cell. Would you tell me a small bit yeah, about that? Yeah, well, I, I wrote this. I was, I know when I wrote this. Um, we'd, we'd, um, oh yeah, so um, I wrote it on about midnight on March the 27th before uh, travelling up to Dublin for um, a mixed double of legal actions, one of which was to um, attend an appeal for a new hearing in the case that I lost, which I subsequently won, but then... They withdrew that from me, that right, but and the last poem in the book is about that. But um, So I just put myself in the idea of a guy, I mean, it's, it's, uh, so um, you lay there trying to sleep in your prison cell, knowing full well that what will befall you in the, mo- 
in the coming morn is a form of living torture, a form of living hell. You tell your mind to quiet, say your prayers and meditate. You lay there through a timeless night, resigning, accepting, yet still determined to fight. You lay there in your troubled sleep, knowing that the dawn does to your cell door slowly creep, and the sun will shortly rise, beckoning in the dawning light, knowing that the fate that awaits is a force of ignorance and injustice, and is of evil born in the devil's cauldron. There's, a, there's an irony there in terms of that image, Ian, as well, because in, in the event, and as you say, you've abs- you, you, you're totally entitled to the presumption of innocence and you had nothing to do with the murder, but the inv- in the event that you had been convicted and sentenced to prison, 24 years later, in all likelihood, you'd actually be a free man, and I suppose, bar what you would consider a, a, an unjust conviction and a miscarriage of justice, you'd be freer than you are now in some ways. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, one can do retrospectives and if this and if that. And I, I don't necessarily think there's too much because you can't change the past. You can only change the future. Um, maybe if you're lucky. Um, I don't know. All I know is I have nothing to do with this. And this has cursed my life and a lot of other people's lives for a long time. And at the bottom of it is a dirty, rotten, stinking lie. Yeah. Um, no. Moving on, another. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I was taken by this poem. I, I, I thought right, it was interesting. Right. <laughs> uh, May death come swift and fast. Yeah, it's quite a short one as well. I, I, I wrote actually. I, I bunched them. There are a number of poems which the reader will note um, touch on the subject of mortality and and death. I'm just trying to, um, and I sort of bunched them. Sorry, um, I've got a sorry. You can edit this, can't you? I'm just going to go back yeah, to the... Yeah, inter- yeah. I don't know my way around this book yet. Right. So, so hot off the press, is it? Um, it's on page 61. Right. So I was out in the garden there uh, back in um, the, year, the year before last. Digging for victory is another one as well. That's I, It's part of that thing. Of, and tr- the trouble mind is how you... I, I've handled the perturbations and the troubles that I've had to handle... Um, and I think the third one is Kate called May Death. So I was just musing, and I wrote this, the first draft. It says, it's called, May Death Come Swift and Fast. May death come swift and fast, when the time is right. No lingering slow death, please. I'm leaving the room, just turn out the light. When the holy wind extinguishes the mortal flame and nature's force pull the ripe fruit from the bough, let death for me come swift and fast. The sharp, clean cut of the reaper's axe that's all I ask. A lightning bolt out of the blue. An arrow sharp from time's bow. That's how I would wish to go. When the time is right and I am ripe for plucking and the winds of time blow out the candlelight. In that final moment last, when all the present is now past. When Fortuna chooses. When the cycle of samsara ceases. When the Mandela freezes. May death come swift and fast. When the time is right, I'm leaving the room. Just turn out the light. I suppose that the poem answers the question I was going to ask you, but is that how, when, when the time comes, you would like to see the end? I do you know what I think everybody would, wouldn't they, if they had any choice in the matter? Yeah. Well, what about well, a chance to say goodbye to people? Or Well, yeah, you, you know, you could, <laughs> but you know what I mean. I think most people would like her. We lost the neighbour, Dan, the poem I, I wrote to him. He, well, the funny thing is, I'd seen the neighbour, he'd been ill for about a year, he was getting worse in a wheelchair. I'd seen him on a Saturday in Skibbereen Market and with his wife, Barbara, who helped me with the book. And I, I, I waved at him, and he'd completely gone. He'd completely gone. Didn't recognise me at all. 
uh, five weeks before he had recognised me. And I came home and I wrote a poem about him, and it was um, it's in the book. Um, and it was just about how I was so sad to see this formerly handsome man just disappearing before your very eyes. And I said, you know, may, may you may you go peacefully. Maybe may you go fast, surrounded by angels at the last. And then on Monday morning, Barbara, and this is a bit sort of um, not freaky, but um, came up and said, John passed away on Sunday, peacefully. So, um, yeah, mortality. Wouldn't we all like to go, you know, swift and fast? Yeah, I suppose that's... It, 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 we certainly wouldn't like to linger, put it that way, but I suppose it's a question of... In terms, well, of, we're not. Well, I mean, we're not necessarily in charge of it or in control of it, are we? You know, we're not in charge of it at all. I think. Well, <laughs> unless you know, you decide you. Yeah. Anyway, so that's. A, um, so. Yeah. No. And you, you, you mentioned there. I think um, you, you, you were inspired mm. to some extent by Leonard Cohen mm, and particularly yeah. his his last album. Yeah, greatly. And I'm also inspired by the first poem. That, I mean, I just he's my muse, and um, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a sort of reference there to make it darker because the album was called Make It Darker, and so. Uh, Leonard Cohen track called I'm Leaving the Table I'm Out of the Game I don't know the people but it's a re- really good track and dark but good and then he died of course he went just, you know. he went fairly quickly too Yeah, I think he well. I think he fell downstairs and they, they actually cremated him before they even announced his, his passing tell me the name of the collection A John Wayne's State of Mind where did yeah. that come from? well it was just an idea I was sitting outside Perrin's Hotel in Glengariff earlier this year in February in, in really warm summer sun having lunch uh, opposite the Maureen O'Hara Memorial Garden, and I just started musing, and I, I must have been the Maureen O'Hara connection, I think, and a John Wayne state of mind. So I wrote down one line, I mean, a John Wayne state of mind, and then from that I sort of built the poem around that, and that becomes a sort of chorus line in it. I hope you're not going to ask me to do it, but I will if you want. No, I, I it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good poem. It's a, it? Yeah, I th- it's actually, I think it works well as, I've tried it as a performance piece, um, where I get the audience to come in with a chorus, and it seems to go down quite well, or it has gone. And down have down. you performed it in, in a venue with people? Yeah, I did. It, I did it actually. I did it. I, did it, I started off with two or three. I started off with the chickens. Uh, maybe then I started with two or three people in a singing session, or maybe a few more people. And then I did it between it for about a hundred people in the Ballad Hop Jazz Festival earlier this year, where a, a New Orleans jazz pianist Nelson asked me to because he liked the poem to to to, to do it as part of his um, set. For me, one thing occurs. Where do you think you would be now if none of this had befallen you? I do not know. I cannot say. I am where I am. This is being here and now. That's all I know. Well, are you ever, do, do, do you ever, in a vacant moment, wonder if that hadn't happened, would I still be here? Would I? Be, well, the funny thing would is... Would you still be a journalist, for instance? Well, I might have been, mightn't I? And it was very frustrating over the first few years when I was actually, in effect, sort of prohibited from... But the thing is, now, I, I'm, I'm, I am writing. I am doing something with the writing. And... Um, if I can keep on using what is sort of maybe seem kind of quite negative and dark stuff going on in my life to, um, you know, inspire some stuff, then let them, let the arrows fly, let the bullets, you know, let anyway. I, I, I have a confession to make myself in that regard because I, I think it may have been in the early two thousands. I was a news editor in a Sunday paper, and you rang me one day. You rang the desk. Which and you paper, had a story. Yeah, which was that? Where, where were you then? I was in a paper called Ireland on Sunday that's now defunct. Oh, that's right. I think I did do some, yeah. Well, my recollection, I'll be straight up with you, you rang the desk and you told me you had this story, which was a very good story, and the story was... We won't go into detail about it. Well, we no, 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 no. This is the story... Go on, yeah. This is the story that Jeremy Irons, a resident down here, had painted 
his abode, a castle, pink. Oh, yes, yes. Well, salmon pink. Salmon pink. Salmon pink. Salmon pink. Yeah, yeah. And you were the first one to come across that, and you asked me would the newspaper be interested in. Mm. And I have to confess that I consulted the editor, and he said on the basis of what was then your notoriety, he wasn't interested at the time. Did you get that kind of rejection? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 you, you, you bet. I mean, I, I kept on trying to carry on. During 1997, after the first arrest, I carried on. Actually, the Star, the tabloid Star, carried on taking things. And I tried to keep on doing ideas, putting stories up. But the Sunday Tribune, for instance, that I'd been working for, they told me they didn't want me to call again. And then I... And I Oh, and then I started to, uh, carrying on doing stuff for the local paper, the Cork Examiner, the, the county section. And then, I, I mean, for me as a trained journalist, I have no, never had any problem coming up with stories. You know, I, I, I can make a, not a story out of nothing, but I can meet somebody, talk to them. And, and I was doing quite well writing stories from West Cork. And then they said, um, Ian, we've got, well, we're having a tightening of budget. Um, we can't take any more copy. And that might have been to do with a thing or not, I don't know. And as a writer, you, you obviously you, you've committed to poetry. Did, did it ever occur to you to write a memoir about the whole well, experience? Well, do you know what? This that I've just done is as close as I want to get to a memoir. You know, if uh, people keep have been telling me, for, you know, write a book, write a book. I say, I have. This is it. A guy in the school yesterday said, Ian, you know what you should do? Write a book. I said, I have. This is it. Have you read it? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's honest. It's autobiographical. It's contemporary. And there's other poems in there, sort of everyday events, passing meditations, uh, as you mentioned, that a poem for dear departed neighbour. Um, one of one of your one of your neighbours you mentioned there about mm. unfortunately the way he passed. Um, is West Cork a place that the muse can be summoned easily? Well, I don't know. I think it's yeah, but definitely there is that. Um, it, it, put it this way: if your muse channels are open, either you're a sculptor, a painter, um, a musician, a poet. If your channels are open, it, it, it's it's a, um, a limitless stream of, of inspiration. Oh, the other thing I've been very encouraged with, because I've been mixing with a lot of musicians and singer-songwriters, is the musical thing going on. No, nobody's actually got this down here yet. There's a, some sort of renaissance of music going on down here. Where you've got this amazing number of young guys, I think 20 to 40-ish, who are playing really good music, their own songs. Mick Callahan's one of them, Stuart Wiles, another... Frank Weiler, they're just brilliant, and, and that's so. And I'm, you know, that's inspiring. Another thing, that, that there's, um, as I understand it, two separate documentary projects in train in relation to the wider Mr. Planty murder and and your uh, situation and the whole thing. Um, you could end up pretty soon on Netflix. Well, I don't know. If, I mean, I, what will be will be. But um, just to explain to context for your listeners, readers, I'm. Um, there are two different documentary projects ongoing at the moment, one of which has my blessing and I've been cooperating with for five years, which is headed by Jim Sheridan, and another which has recently come about where I was contacted by some people uh, calling themselves Netflix. I think it's actually a London-based production company on behalf of Netflix who wanted to, to, to do something on the story. And I explained to them last week they wanted to meet me, um, and I explained to them that I was I couldn't really I didn't w really need to meet them because I couldn't really say anything to them because I was working with Jim Sheridan, and that uh, they had my blessing, but um, nothing more. So I think that that's ongoing. And as well, there's of course the West Cork podcast that was pretty successful, and I think a lot of people thought well made. I think there may be another. Series yeah, well, I believe, I believe that the two people behind Jennifer Ford and Sam Bungie, and in fact, Sam was over a, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, um, for a catch-up talk, 
Uh, they are they're, they are working on another follow-up podcast. I don't know how many, whether it will be one or two or three. Or... So uh, that's ongoing, yeah. And I, to bring it up, I'd have to bring it up. Oh, by the way, I don't make any money out of this, if anybody's ever wondered. Um, well, you'd have a problem anyway, because you owe so much money, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway. Yeah. And, and again, just to bring it up, because unfortunately, this is what some people, and they may well be a small minority, is you can imagine that, again, going back to Mr. Duplantia's family, you had nothing to do with it, yet they're mm. under, certainly convinced that you did, and that Pierre-Louis, or her son, who was only 15 when she died, you can imagine even, even this podcast, uh, documentaries, whatever, when they see that, it's going to gall them. I don't know. I don't know that. You know, I don't know that. You, you, you've no control over... I have there's not, nothing to do with me, you know. I mean, a lot of things, I just, I just focus on that thing in the serenity program that, that I focus on the things that I can do something about. Now, I can do something about my own sort of personal situation and, and, and use the writing as a tool to, you know, keep busy creatively. I can't, but then everything out there, really, I can't, I don't have any control over. And just finally, back to your, your poetry again. You've a market style in Skibbereen, I think it's every Saturday, and... Um, You'll be selling the poetry there as well. Do, are you, and it's a very difficult thing for somebody to talk about subjectively, do you think you're something of a celebrity in that regard? I don't know. Um, do you notice it at the market that people come up to Ian Bailey? Uh, a bit, yeah. But um, I don't let it, it's, you know, um, I, I, yeah, probably a little bit. But I do what I do anyway. Um, and I started off with an ironing board, and I now have an ironing board and a little table. I sell my poetry and my wood with the woodcrafts I make uh, bowls and things you're at a stage of life you're 62 are you content well <laughs> am I content I mean could anybody who's in my situation be content you don't, well <clears throat> are, are you at peace well this is where the meditation thing comes in yeah well I'm within myself I'm very much at peace and I've been more creative this year than I've ever been before and all of that's very good uh, obviously, I've I've got this sort of ooh, the the fear thing. It's funny because it sort of lodges. I've got a bit of it this morning, in the pit of the stomach, and it is. I think it is fear, sort of raw fear. But irrespective of that, you know, and as I say, I covered the trial. I I think uh, look, it's only a personal opinion. I'm not. I don't have a legal qualification. I would find it difficult to see the Irish judiciary, certainly at the highest level, taking seriously that as a murder trial. But do you still think there's a real possibility you could be extradited? Well, I have to live with the possibility, that possibility, yeah. I do. I do. Um, yeah. And the other issue there Denial is... Denial is not a river in Egypt, by the way. It's one of my carvings down there. You know, yeah, I have to live with that as a possibility. And one other aspect to that is, um, which is a very strange one, I have to say myself, you were convicted in absentia, yet were you to be extradited there would actually be another trial to put you on trial when you're there in person. And it's difficult to see it's difficult to see the value of the first trial, therefore, as a murder trial. Well, I believe what you say is true. Yeah. W one other thing, Ian. Um, I actually wrote a column about this myself a few years ago. The law under which you were convicted in France is to do with a French citizen who um, is a victim of homicide outside the French jurisdiction. There was a precedent there, I think. It was a, a German man, I think he was a doctor. And uh, he was wanted under the same law, and he ended up being kidnapped, kidnapped. Yes, and I, brought back to France. I, Has that thought ever occurred to you? Well, it was, it's been drawn to my attention. 
And, you know, I don't know, you know, there, there are real fears and there are false fears. I'm going to not include that in my current batch of fears. You know, keep that. It, yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't know. I don't know is the answer to the question. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, again, once again, it's, it, it's a sort of threat and menace. Because it's a bit, you know, it could be easily done. Um, anyway, I'm not going there. Okay, and um, finally, and this is in relation to what may be ahead of you and what was behind you, do you have confidence and faith in the Irish justice system? I don't know. Um, I don't know if I can really answer that, honestly. I would like to. Th- I mean, it's a bit like a lot of things. We'd like to hope. So I live in hope. Well, I suppose in one sense, um, the Irish justice system has decided that the evidence does not warrant a prosecution, not to mind any suggestion of a conviction. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm in the situation I'm in. And Okay, Ian Bailey, a uh, publication of your new collection of Oh, poems. yeah, can I just say, it, it, is, it will be available in the local bookshops in Bantry Skull and, and Skibbereen. It'll be available from me directly at Postal Order Home, 20 euros in the post, or it will be available as an Amazon, hopefully later on this week, as an Amazon download, if not this week, next week. And, um, yeah. Okay, and it's entitled A John Wayne State of Mind. Ian Bailey, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Okay, that's it for this week's folks. I'd just like to thank uh, Declan Conlon, producer, and the engineer JJ Vernon. You can contact me at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. See you again soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.